0: Is it possible for us to live in such a way where the worries about the future don't rob us of the joy and possibilities of today? I believe that it is. And if you read the gospels, you'll notice that Jesus seemed to be really good at living in the moment. God himself is with me. There are angels everywhere. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But he said, take heart. have overcome the world. All breaking points begin the moment a person loses hope. There's a reason that the writer of Proverbs says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. It's all reminiscent of another passage in the New Testament where Paul is talking to the church in Corinth about how spiritual gifts function within the church. It was my small group that drove 300 miles and stood outside in the snow at our funeral. Oh, it was my small group that was at hospice bringing us stuff when I barely even knew them. God had put us together with people in the same situation it was just refreshing and ever since then now they've been our family. The Bible says that man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. What if we had a generation that looked at the heart? Thank you so much for watching Kids Coast at home with me today. Hey friends, we are so excited to welcome you back to Seacoast as we gather this weekend for in-person services. Hey friends, welcome to Seacoast. My name is Josh Walters. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. So glad that you are with us, whether you're joining us at home, online, in a venue here at the Mount Pleasant campus, at one of our off-site campuses. Wherever you are, Mount Pleasant, why don't you join me? Let's give them a hand. Let them know we're glad wherever you are that you're with us this weekend. Hey, we are within just a couple days of our first Christmas Eve services. And I'm telling you, we are so excited. You know, every year, Easter and Christmas are kind of the Super Bowl here in the church. It's like a big family reunion where everybody comes, right? And usually, they're the biggest services of the year. This year, we didn't get to experience Easter in person, though it was our biggest Easter ever. Had over 50,000 people join us for services online. But it makes Christmas this year just that much more special to experience it you <laughs> Together, We had a Christmas Eve service run through this past week, and we invited some of our seniors, some of those in the church that are more high risk to come. And man, as as we were walking in, there were folks here with tears running down their face just because they hadn't been in the house of God, hadn't experienced a a service in person since March. And so we know for so many of you, whether you're coming regularly or if you're planning to come on Christmas Eve and you haven't been back in a long time, we are working hard to not only ensure it's going to be a powerful uh, service where you encounter God, but that it's safe. As well, And so to help us do that, I want to invite you to go to seacoast.org slash Christmas. Many of you have already done that, but across all of our campuses, you can do a couple different things there. One, you can RSVP for a service. We want to ensure that there's safe distance and all that for everyone, that you can come and feel safe and, and confident. So please, RSVP for a service. But you can also sign up to serve there. Every year, my family does it. We'll sign up and greet at a door, and there'll be, you know, the kids all there with us welcoming folks as they're coming in. And so if you've already signed up to serve, Awesome. If you're questioning what it would look like, man, it is a great year to uh, to jump in and do that. So let me pray for us and we will uh, get started. God, we thank you so much. For this weekend, we're just thankful, God, to be able to be here in your presence and just pray in advance over all of our Christmas Eve services, knowing that so many folks who maybe don't come regularly are going to come on the arm of a trusted friend or come with family. And we just pray, God, that you would show up in power, that lives would be changed, that of all years, God, where we need the hope of Christmas, that, that they would encounter that this year in you. So we just pray over that prayer over our message and time together and ask today that you would be with us, that your word would not return void in Jesus name. Amen. Well, hey, three weeks ago tomorrow, Katie and I had our seventh child. Isn't that amazing? I know. Who has seven kids? This guy, right? That's great. Well, I say Katie and I. Katie had the child, right? I was there cheering her on. All you ladies are like, you ain't have no kid. That ain't right, right? I was there cheering her on. It was it was awesome. Her name is Adele Catherine. Walters, we thought we were going to call her Addie Kate, but Adele has been the only thing that, that's come out and stuck. I brought a picture for you just so you can catch a little glimpse. Oh, isn't, isn't that funny how that happens? I didn't say that or prompt you to do that, but in unison, everybody, I don't know who started it, same time, everybody goes, aww. Oh, you ain't never seen somebody put up a baby picture and everybody go, ooh. (laughs) That'd be weird, right? We had one of those. We had a baby that had a complicated delivery that came out bruised, and we were crying in the delivery room, like, oh my gosh, it's heaven, Jesus, amazing life, and baby. You know, like we're beside ourselves. But we look back at the pictures, and what should have been an eye is like, ooh, (laughs) she was just really bruised, looked like Katie had been with Papa Smurf. I don't know what happened. But somebody wasn't honest, right? And so, no, anyway, she is precious and we are just loving it. I heard this comedian, Jim Gaffigan, he has six kids and he says, people ask me all the time, what's it like having six kids? And, and he says, it's like you're drowning and somebody throws you a baby. <laughs> you <know? laughs> that is exactly what it feels like. Right now, but uh, people people seriously say, "Man, how do y'all do it?" Well, we do it with the tribe. There have been so many of you that have cooked us meals, or kept the dogs for us, or watched other kids to help lighten the load on the boat. And so, uh, but we're all home now and just excited and thankful. I'll tell you what's interesting about seven kids is that for Katie and I, it's always been the goal. When we met in college, I went home and told my roommate the very first time I met her that I was going to marry that girl. And I wasn't even looking for a, for a girlfriend, much less a wife, but I just knew in my spirit. So on the second date, we put all the hard questions on the table. Both of us had grown up not knowing this with best, best friends that were one of seven. And so when I thought she was the one, I was like, well, let's just, you know. Uh, how many children do you want to have? And before you answer, I'm going to count to three, and let's both just say our number, and we can know. And so I was like, one, two, three, and we both said seven. It was like, she's the one. (laughs) You know, like, what woman wants to have most girls would have gotten up and been like, good luck with that. You know, enjoy your dinner, right? So we just knew she was the one. And as we grew older and our, our desires and dreams changed a bit, we thought we were going to be school teachers, and God had other plans for that, and As a result of that, our our pursuits have changed, right? But I'm so thankful the pursuit of seven kids is one that that God has kept on the table for us. But but it makes me want to ask you, what is the last thing that you pursued? I mean, the last thing that you just went after. If you're a student in the room, maybe it's your first car. For me, that was an 89 Honda Accord hatchback. It was blue on the outside, blue on the inside. I felt blue while I was driving it. (laughs) It was not the dream car, but it was the car I could afford. Somebody screamed for a Honda Accord hatchback. I don't even know what to make of that, right? But maybe that's you. And every dollar you earn, every time you pass it, you're seeing it out on the road. You have a, a focused pursuit on going after this car. Maybe for some of you, it's a significant other. And 2020 hadn't helped you with that, right? It's always difficult trying to find that significant other, but you put a mask on them and it makes it all the more difficult. It's like, I don't know. Do you have most of your teeth? Do you have a nose ring? Is there a face tattoo I need to know about? Like, I got to take you out to lunch just to get you to take your mask off for me to know if I even want to take you out to lunch. You know, (laughs) it's hard. But maybe your pursuit in that case has been driven or motivated by desire. Sometimes our pursuits are motivated by need. I remember when Katie and I first moved to Charleston and we needed a, uh, a house. I mean it was hard to find a rental. So I, f- I found this place in Park Circle. I love the area. I drove back to Columbia. I was like, babe, I found a place. She drove up that next week and met her mom over there. And they walked the house. And what was unique about it, it had a couple holes in the floor, like you could see down to the ground. And I was like, I could, I could fix that. You know, I'll work on that. But it was a good price, seemed to be fine. And, and her and her mom called and said, there's no way we're living in that house. I was like, I was just kidding about that. <laughs> that was a joke. <laughs> you know? But maybe your pursuit in this season is, is motivated by need. Sometimes our, our pursuits are seasonal, right? And they're, they're almost a way of, of coping. I saw a meme the other day that said at the end of 2020, you'll either be a hunk, a monk, a chunk. Or a drunk. (laughs) Well, that's that's probably right. You know, like some of you have taken all your anxiety and anger out at the gym. That's a healthy path, healthy way of coping. Others have gone after God like you never have before. Some of you have created a well-worn path to the pantry, right? You're not nearly as concerned about COVID-19 as you are the quarantine 20 you got to work on, right? And I feel you on that by a way of coping, we all give ourselves to pursuing things. There's something that's built into the U.S. Constitution, right? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's not a word that we use very much, but man, it is something that we all do every single day. And what's special about this time of year is that all year long, we can all be pursuing our own individual things, regardless of whatever the motivation is. But at Christmas time, Man, it's like all of those pursuits come together as one. And somehow in unison, our focus gets more and more on the Lord. He kind of lifts our head out from our stories and stuff and whatever junk we might be walking through. We naturally start to focus more on others. And another way of framing that up is the two greatest commandments, Jesus said, is to love God and to love people. And both of those things just kind of start to happen naturally for all of us around Christmas. And it just lives well. Well, the thought I've got for us this weekend is what if living well, experiencing the good stuff of Christmas doesn't have to just happen in December for some of y'all this year, it didn't like if there's ever been a year where we need hope. It's been in 2020. So it hit November 1st. And, and I saw people putting up Christmas trees and lights. I'm like, what's wrong with y'all? You can't do that. The pilgrims hadn't even come yet. We hadn't celebrated Thanksgiving. I still got Halloween candy on the dining room table. You putting up Christmas lights, right? But we just wanted to feel better. And something about Christmas music and lights and singing the songs helps accomplish that for us. I've titled this weekend's message, The Pursuit of Heaven. The Pursuit of Heaven. Because what's unique about all of our pursuits in life, whether it's a a car or a significant other, if it's success or wealth or a profession, a school you want to go to, whatever it is, or if it's Christmas itself, they all have a shelf life. If and when we attain them, they kind of get old and we're, we're off to our next pursuit. But man, there's one pursuit, one thing that if we'll go after, it makes an eternal investment, one that we can experience and enjoy all year long. What comes to mind for you when you hear the word heaven? For some of you, maybe you think of it comparable to, say, uh, retirement. <laughs> like, you know that because you've put your faith in God, by God's grace, you believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And one day when you die, you're going to go to heaven. There's a place that God has prepared for you. So we kind of think like, well, kind of like this week, I've got work to do. Next week I got work to do, but little by little, year by year, I'm saving money in hopes that one day I'll retire, right? It's easy for us to think about heaven that way. But 2 Corinthians 5.20 says this, we therefore are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. A foreign ambassador resides in a country that's not their own to carry, model, and establish the values of their homeland. Each of us who call ourselves Christ followers have been put here by God to usher in peace and love and hope to those around us, to live in such a way that people would catch a glimpse of heaven, that it would be something that they feel not just this time of year when all of us seem to have a singular pursuit and focus, but all year long. And I'm not talking about Christmas trees in March or Christmas music in April. That would just be weird. So please don't do that, right? But I do think that we can go after something together as a family of God, that when people see, they say, man, I want that. So, practically speaking, what does the pursuit of heaven look like for us? I've got three different points and three passages for us, the first of which is this, the pursuit of heaven. The pursuit of, of heaven through their childhood with all of their toes intact. Literally every week, I'll be in the house doing something, and outside I'll hear, ah, 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 ah," like the uncontrollable scream cry. And so I'll run outside to see what's happened, and without fail, every week, somehow a razor scooter and a skateboard or a tricycle have collided. There's one kid over here. There's a pinky toe over there. So I just scoop them up, and I come inside the house, and I sit them on the counter. I dangle the bloody feet in the sink, and I'm washing them off while they're crying, losing their, losing their mind, you know. Never once when this has happened have I heard them scream for Abigail or Anna Jay or Abel or Asher. They're always screaming for Daddy. Now, why is that? It's because I've got the knowledge. I know how to clean and take care of them. I've got the means. I know where the Neosporin and the Band-Aids are. They know I'm wildly strong, you know, so I can just pick them up. And that was a joke. And run. some of y'all didn't laugh because you were like, yeah, that's true. You know, <laughs> you know right? Scoop them up and carry them inside. It's in my heart to care for them, right? When they cry for daddy, I'm going to run to them, even, even if I'm mad because they never have shoes on. Now, sometimes they'll come to me first and they'll say, hey, dad, I want to go outside and ride my razor scooter, you know, whatever. And I'll give them a look over and be like, okay. But you got to put shoes on first, right? It's in my heart to empower them to go and do the things that they want to do in a way that's going to be safe and life-giving for them. And when they come to me first, man, they ride and laugh and have a great time. See, as Christ followers, we're used to crying out to God when we're laying in the driveway, beat up and bruised, right? When stuff hits the fan in our life and we can't solve the problem on our own, when we're in need, we're used to going to God at that point. But I can't help but wonder how much time we would save, how much pain we could avoid if we started by going to God first. In teaching the disciples how to pray in Matthew 6, 9 through 13, this is what Jesus says. In teaching them to pray, he says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now we hear that and we think, yeah, Amen. Our father in heaven, amen, man, that's good. But if you were to follow me around on any given Tuesday to look at how I spend my time or the way that I spend my money or the way that I I treat my kids or talk to my wife, it's like, man, I try my best to walk with and honor God. But there's definitely moments in my week where if you were laying this prayer over my life, you would question, is he building his kingdom or God's kingdom? It's a natural bend for each of us to do things that we want to do, to give ourselves to things that we feel competent in, or that we desire to do in our hearts, no different than my kids going out to ride their skateboard or razor scooter without asking me. I have one, I know how to do it. I'm going to go out and do it till they find themselves beat up and bloody, right, laying in the driveway. Well, Jesus starts here by saying, "When you go to pray, pray our Father in heaven." First thing he says is, "I want you to remember who your daddy is. He doesn't say almighty God, sovereign Lord, but my father, the same daddy who would run outside to scoop you up when you're injured, regardless of whether or not you've got shoes on, right? He's going to run to you because his heart is for you. He said, remember, when you go to pray, whether it's for the first time or the hundredth time, remember who you're talking to. He's your daddy and his heart is for you. And he's in heaven. He's seated above all of the problems and the issues and the challenges. He's sovereign and reigns over them all. So you can pray, Daddy in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You are holy. But then he says, may your kingdom come and your will be done. It's like I see Jesus enter into this like spiritual tug of war, right? Where he's like pulling heaven and earth together, praying, may the will of the Father, the peace and the joy and the love that is experienced in heaven, the joy of God's people, might that be experienced here on earth? And the reason that he tells us to pray that is because our life is about so much more than just our interactions with each other. So much more than the house or the errands or the kids or our friends or our experiences. See, we engage in part of life that is seen, but there's a whole nother reality that we cannot be aware of. Ephesians 6, 12 says it this way, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. The reason that we start with prayer, the reason that we pray first, yes, you could get up each morning, make your breakfast, go to work, and go about the day and do your thing, right? But by starting with prayer, man, we, we can engage in some eternal goodness. We can partner with God. He's positioned us here in this place, in this time, to be his ambassador. And my life is about so much more than just doing the things I want to do, but I can partner with him in establishing his kingdom. And when we do that, when we start with prayer first, one of my favorite verses that speaks to what happens comes to from Daniel chapter 10, verse 12. An angel appears to Daniel, and this is what he says. Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day. Everybody say first day. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and humble yourself before God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. So whether you're brand new to prayer and it feels like your words are bouncing off the ceiling or you've walked with God for a long time, from the first day you set your mind to gain understanding, from the first day you humble yourself to pray first and go after God, the armies of heaven are dispatched on your behalf. Man, I've seen so much pain, as I know you have, too, this year. Loved ones, people in the hospital, unable to be around those that they love, and they're questioning, what can I do? Man, you can pray. I've seen marriages fall apart, things not working out at home, people questioning, what do I do? Man, you can pray. Sons and daughters that have grown up and left the house and are making decisions you're not happy with, what can I do? I can't control them anymore. Yes, but you can pray. Man, prayer is not some futile act of of compliance that we're obligated to do because we call ourselves believers, it is the single greatest switch that you can flip to give you access to the power and presence of God. So if we're going to pursue heaven, man, we have got to start with prayer. Second thing is that the pursuit of heaven requires perseverance. It requires perseverance. When Katie was about 37 weeks pregnant, she was done, done. Like, she was ready to have the baby. And we we had had a date in mind, and God had been sweet with dates, this pregnancy, the day that we found out we were having a baby girl. Katie went to call to schedule the appointment and uh, she just knew. She was like, watch, I bet their first available date is going to be your dad's birthday, and so it was just a sweet day to give some exciting news to my mom, and so we thought, I bet the baby's going to be born on Nana's birthday that passed away a couple years ago. Guy's just going to redeem some, some dates here, and that was the day after Thanksgiving, so we had been kind of praying into and just thought it was going to be that date, and as it got closer, we realized, like, it ain't going to be that date, right, and so Katie's thinking, like, should i go jump on a neighbor's trampoline like should i drink some castor oil cuz i'm done you know and there was this one morning in particular that i woke up and usually in the morning she would feel good cuz she'd been off her feet had slept well and she wakes up in the morning and I, she rolled over i was like how are you feeling and as soon as i asked the question tears just rolled down her cheek she had just been up all night just miserable not feeling good. And man, morning tears are just the worst, right? You ain't supposed to cry in the morning. I was like, oh man, I'm so sorry, you know. And so tried to like pray over her, went and got her some coffee and went to work just thinking, like, man, it's gonna be a bad day. We had morning tears. This ain't gonna be good. Well, Katie calls me a little while later. And you know when somebody calls you and something's changed and you can just you hear it in their voice? Well, that was the call. And that, their life and joy was in her voice. And I was like, okay, this is good. And she was like, hey, I spent some time with the Lord, and, and I got a word, and man, I'm, I'm feeling a lot better. And I was like, all right, well, what, what was not She said, God told me to stay on the donkey. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> you know, what does that mean? You know? And she had been reading the, the Christmas story, and like God said, man, the only thing worse than having a baby in a manger is having a baby on the side of the road. Like, trust me with the timing and stay on the donkey. And for some of you today, you might be in a hard season at work, you might be in a hard season of marriage, and this is God's word for you today. Like, how do you get through it? You've got to stay on the donkey. If you're joining us in line right now, you might know what your donkey's called. Go ahead and put that in the chat. Don't put your spouse's name. Don't tag anybody in it. <laughs> but whatever it is, if it's a season of perseverance for you, the word may be for you to stay on the donkey. Uh, One of the best examples of this in the life of Jesus comes from the Garden of Gethsemane. Moments before he is arrested, he doesn't just model for us what it looks like to persevere in our lives, because we're all going to find ourselves in hard seasons. But he gives us a pathway for perseverance. What does it look like to not just get through something, but actually grow through it and endure it and persevere? It comes from Matthew 26, 36 through 45. It says this. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, "Sit here while I go over there." Here while I. Here while I. Keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Then he came back and he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed a third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to his disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the son of man is to be delivered into the hands of sinners. So practically speaking, what does it look like? For us to persevere if the pursuit of heaven is going to require us to do some hard things. Jesus gives us a, a how to a master class here on what it looks like to persevere. And the first thing that he does is use words to describe his feelings. We've got to use words to describe our feelings when we're in a hard place. If we're going to get through it, we've got to be able to speak to where we are right now for Jesus. He said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Now, if I was to grab a cup of coffee here in the breezeway and ask any woman that's here, how are you feeling? You would have 57 different feeling words. You'd have feeling words to talk about your feelings. If I was to take a guy and go out in the breezeway and say, hey, man, how are you feeling? We'd get sad or mad or glad. You know? <laughs> There's about three of them that we have, right? We're not as good as putting words to our feelings. But what we saw Jesus do here is say, I'm overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. What would it look like for you to get home from work on a Monday and processing the day and and put some words to your feelings? Maybe you come home angry, right? Something happened at work. Well, anger is always a secondary emotion, meaning that you felt something. You felt insecure. You felt jealous. You felt overlooked. You felt taken advantage of. Something happened, and the response was anger. Anger isn't the emotion, but if we've got to put words to our feelings, it's going to require some processing time, some prayer time for me to say, okay, God, what's going on in my heart? The first thing we saw Jesus do to persevere was use words to describe his feelings. The second thing that he did was be willing to tell some of those that were closest to him. We've got to be willing to tell some of those that are closest to us. Remember, Jesus had walked with these 12 disciples now for three years, a three-year sleepover with your best friends. Like, think about how close they were. Breakfast, lunch, dinner, miracles. He had sent them out on internships to go do amazing things and come back. Like, they had experienced all kind of stuff together. Yet in the moment where his soul was overwhelmed to the point of death, he didn't post it to the group me. He didn't blast it out on Facebook. He didn't send out a group email. right? He grabbed Peter and two of the sons of Zebedee, three of the 12 that he was the closest to, to say, hey, guys, come with me. Who are the people in your life that when you're waking up in the middle of the night with anxiety, when your heart's racing, when you feel like something's just gripped you and you can't overcome it, who are the people that you can call to say, hey, man, can you wake up? Can you, can you pray with me? Like, this thing is kicking my butt. I'm waking up at night. I'm thinking about it all day. The folks that you can say the ugly stuff to and know that they're going to love you and they're going to fight for you in prayer. My dad passed away three years ago this Christmas, and um, I learned at his memorial service so many things about him that just made me proud to be his son that I'd, I never knew. And one of which, are there any Marines here in the room? Let me see. There we go. <laughs> Anytime you say that, you always hear, hey, you know, the Marines are just like, Fierce brotherhood, like they will kill for you. It's wild. And so, but my dad, there would be these guys on the other side of the country that they would get on this Facebook chat group and they would be having night terrors or PTSD, something keeping them up, just robbing them of of life in the middle of the night. And so my dad would call them at two, three in the morning and stay on the phone with them until the sun came up just to get them through the night. I was like, man, that is the kind of friend I want to be. That regardless of how rational, regardless of whether or not they can control it, when something goes crazy in their life, that my name would be one that my friends could call, knowing that he's going to be there for me. Who is that for you? There might be one name that comes to mind. There might not be any that come to mind, but man, start being the friend that you desire and you will attract those people in your life. So we've got to start by putting words to our feelings. Tell a couple of the people that are closest to you so you're not going through it alone. And then lastly, keep going back to God. I love that Jesus models this for us here because in the seasons where I need to persevere, I feel like, man, man. My words are hitting the ceiling. I'm praying the same thing over and over. I love that the third time Jesus goes back to God, it doesn't even quote the words. It just says that Jesus prayed the same thing. And oftentimes in my life, I can wake up in the morning struggling with something, have a thought that I'm just worried about something going on in life, and I'll pray about it in the morning, and then I go about the day, take the kids to school, drop them off. Hey, Miss Johnson, you know, like. But in my heart, I'm going wild. And Jesus modeled for us over and over and over. Man, when those times come in moments where you need to persevere, don't worry about saying the same words over and over. Don't worry about saying amen, walking away and feeling like, man, nothing's changed. Go right back to God. Jesus did it over and over and over. So if we're going to persevere, practically put words to our feelings, tell a couple people that are close to us and keep going back to God. So our pursuit of heaven, it will start with prayer. It requires perseverance. And number three, it involves people. It involves people. The very first thing that we saw Jesus do in starting his ministry was build a tribe. The language we would use there is that he joined a small group. And we have got to do that in life. If we're going to pursue heaven, we're not going to make it you know, beyond our, our worst days if we're walking alone. It can be it can be difficult. We need people in our life, as Pastor Greg says, who love us, but aren't all that impressed with us. Folks that will spur us on towards love and good deeds. That language in scripture spur us on literally means a kick in the butt. Some folks who are willing to, to spur you on to kick you in the butt when you get lazy or crazy. When you post something on Facebook, they could call you and be like, hey, man, I was just checking on you. I just saw your Facebook posts. That's weird. You know. <laughs> Your employer is going to see that. Don't forget you know, like folks that are just going to call you on your stuff. One of my favorite examples that kind of gives contrast to experiencing life and community versus doing it solo comes from Mark 10, 17 through 22. It's a story about a rich young man. This is what it says. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, I've done all these since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad because he had great wealth. I want you to imagine in hearing that story that you were sitting up on a hill. 30 yards away, watching it all unfold. You see Jesus and the 12 disciples, and you know some of them. That one used to be a doctor. That one used to be a tax collector. That one used to be a fisherman. And those guys left everything to follow Jesus. And for the last three years, they go from town to town, village to village. And you're used to seeing people run up to him. The hungry, the hurting, the sick. And every time they come to Jesus and fall on their knees before him, some of them have left dancing they, they leave crying, tears of joy, celebrating, but this time was different. This guy walks up by himself and falls on his knees, and you see this interaction happening, and a couple minutes later, the guy gets up and walks away sad. Well, what was unique to their conversation is that as he's leaving, Jesus starts talking about how difficult it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And this guy that had, that had run up had an impressive resume. He had honored his father and mother. He hadn't stolen, you know, on and on and on. I can't. I couldn't say all of the things that this guy said he had accomplished, but what was interesting is that Jesus didn't mention the first through the third commandment things about God being first, because in this guy's life, as much as he had desired and attempted to do these religious things that would honor God, his possessions had taken the first seat in his life, and I can't help but wonder what would have happened if he would have run up with a band of brothers, if he would have run up with a couple guys to have this conversation with Jesus, for the disciples, they were a lot more likely to leave everything and come and follow him because they weren't doing it alone. There was a band of guys with him, but this guy walked away sad. If we're going to pursue the kingdom of God, if we're not going to walk away sad, we need some people that will I've heard it said a friend of somebody that knows the song in your heart and will sing it back to you when you forget the words. That sounds like some kind of cheesy, like Hallmark card or something, you know, but the people who know what's in your heart. It's like he had given his life to honoring God, but in this one area, he was struggling and he walked away sad. He couldn't do it. We need friends that will grab you by the shirt and say, come on, man, I'll go ask this with you. You don't care about that stuff. You've been going after God your whole life. Like, don't let this be the thing that makes you walk away. And friends, that is possibly one of the most beautiful, unappreciated or uncelebrated things about the family of God. You might be here today. You might have grown up without a mom or a dad. There is a mom and a dad for you here in the house of God. You might have been an only child. There is a brother and a sister for you here in the house of God. You might have walked through 2020 feeling alone and overlooked. This might have been a year of pain and desperation for you. There is healing and hope for you here in the house of God, because there is a family for you, folks that keep an eye on you, that are going to call you back to the life God's called you to. But you have to make the choice to involve people in your life. The pursuit of heaven, it starts with prayer. It requires perseverance and it involves people. You're much more likely to go after God, not just today, not just this week, but for your lifetime to help establish his kingdom here on Earth. If you involve people at the beginning of this year, Pastor Josh Surratt had our Seacoast staff write a letter to themselves as to what they were going to accomplish, who they were going to become in 2020. So I sat right here in this room and I wrote a letter to myself about all that I was going to accomplish in 2020 and we just got those letters back a week or two ago. And it looked like a joke. <laughs> right? I had it it was beautifully laid out. I wrote my things I wanted to accomplish, that I was going to give my my hands and time to like hey, none of that stuff happened. <laughs> like your looked like nothing that I had had planned. Now, some of the pursuits about who I wanted to become, how I was going to go after God, man, some of that stuff came about. It didn't happen in near the way that I thought it would, you know, but God brought about a work in my heart and life and see what's unique for you as you look back on 2020. And as we head into this year, what if the greatest pursuit for you isn't something that happens in the gym? It's not something that, that happens at the office. Because as much as we like to think we know what tomorrow holds or what next week holds, you don't know. But what if our pursuit of heaven, our investing in something that's eternal, not only ensured that we experience the abundant life that Christ came to offer, but ensured we lived lives in such a way that when people saw the way that we lived, saw the way we used our time, spent our money, talked to the people around us, that they could catch a glimpse of heaven and say, man, I want some of that. Church, that's what's available to us this year. You know, when, when the clock turns at the end of 2020 and it becomes 2021, you're still going to be there in it, right? A lot of the same problems and a lot of the same stuff, but we can decide today what we're going to pursue and have some solid ground, some truth that we can stand on to control the outcome. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word and uh, for your example. And God, I just pray into into this year. One, I repent of times that I have built my own kingdom. I have gone after, out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, things that I wanted to do, thought I could do, or had the means to do. And I just pray into this, this next year for the family of God. God, that we would start with prayer, that we would seek you first, that we would be a people who persevere and do hard things, and that we would be intentional about involving others, that we would not walk through life alone, but that we would leverage the wisdom, the love of the family of God to become the people that you've called us to. God, help us to pursue heaven. Help us to establish your kingdom in the year to come. In Jesus' name, amen.